There was an article that appeared in the Tennessee in this past week telling the story of a woman named Brianna Brown. Almost exactly three years ago, when Brianna Brown was a student at the University of Kentucky, she went to Franklin High School, then went to study music at the University of Kentucky. She had been diagnosed with depression and she was struggling and having a hard time. Her mother recalls that she had come home after school was out. She was back, uh, back here in, in Nashville and in Franklin, but something was just off. Something was not right. And her mom remembers the morning. She left her house uh, to go meet somebody for coffee, but her mother knew that something just wasn't uh, right. Brianna drove to a bridge that many uh, of us have read about and know about here in town. It's the Natchez Trace Bridge, which is a 155-foot-tall structure not too far from her house in, in Franklin. And she had thought about ending her life before, but on this particular day, she just decided that she was going to do it. The pain was simply too much, and she felt like she just couldn't take it anymore. So she got on top of the bridge. She saw the number to the suicide hotline. She saw where people had written on the wall, you are loved, uh, we love you, we care about you, messages that have come from other uh, people and families who have lost uh, loved ones. But she decided to go ahead and jump. But unlike the other 32 people who have done the same thing, Brianna survived. The trees broke her fall on the way down and she lived. She suffered serious injuries to her upper body, was in the hospital for quite some time, but now she's the only survivor who's jumped off that bridge and she's lived to tell her story. And she is now, uh, feels like she's been given a new lease on life. The article this week talked about how the walls on that bridge are low and there is a need to heighten them to hopefully prevent other people from doing the same thing. And so politicians like Governor Bill Lee, uh, Senator Lamar Alexander, I even talked to uh, Congressman Cooper's office this week, they are all pushing to get the walls of that bridge heightened because too many people have done this uh, over the uh, recent number of, of, of years. And to me, this seems like a reasonable idea because of the number of people that have done it. Many of you know that the topic of suicide is close to my heart because that's how I lost my mother almost 14 years ago. But I'm telling you this story because it was in the news this week and it was a very powerful article to read about Brianna. But we are now living in an age where mental illness and depression is growing. And a big part of this is directly tied, I believe, to the loneliness and the social isolation that many people are now experiencing in our culture. There's a great book that came out a few years ago written by Johan Hari, uh, and the book was called Lost Connections. And in the book, Hari says this, what if depression is in fact a form of grief for our own lives not being as they should? What if it is a form of grief for the connections that we have lost yet still need? We can make a strong argument that Depression and other mental illnesses are both chemical, uh, biological, and also societal. But I do know this as a minister. Many people in our culture are lonely and they're longing for connection. And as Christians, I think we should do everything in our power to help build those connections. 
to let people know that they are not alone, to let people know that we care about them. If you're here this morning and you are struggling, I want you to know that you're not alone, that this church cares about you, that I care about you, that the people of Woodmont care about you. You don't have to live life all by yourself. Since surviving that jump three years ago, Brianna has now become a, a spokesperson for people that are wrestling with depression. She lives in Atlanta now, but she wants people to know that there is hope and help out there. She's also an advocate for raising the walls of that bridge. I hope you all will join me in pushing for that. I think that's a great idea to, to build those walls higher on the Natchez Trace Bridge. Don't do a lot of activism from the pulpit, but this is one where I think it just makes sense. I tell you her story this morning because we're going to start a new June sermon series focusing on Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, the book that we call uh, Philippians. And uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And Philippians has a lot to do with our mindset, our attitude, gratitude, and joy. When we did the second mountain series in May, and we talked about the difference between life's first mountain and life's second mountain, you remember that we talked a little bit about the difference between happiness and joy. And there's this quote from David Brooks where he says, happiness tends to be individual, but joy tends to be self-transcending. Happiness is something that you pursue, but joy is something that rises up unexpectedly and sweeps over you. Happiness comes from accomplishments, but joy comes from offering your gifts to others. Happiness fades. We get used to the things that make us happy, but joy doesn't fade. To live with joy is to live with wonder, gratitude, and hope. And people who are on the second mountain of life, we said during that series, have been transformed because they are living a joyful life. Now, I believe that Paul's letter to the Philippians gives us some of the tools to help us do that. So here's a basic overview, a basic introduction of this epistle. It was written by the Apostle Paul sometime around 62 or 63 AD when he was in prison, most likely in Rome. It is perhaps the most unique of all of Paul's letters because he is dealing with, he's not dealing with doctrinal issues, but he's basically writing a thank you letter to the church at Philippi for supporting him over the years. They even sent a gift to him while he was in prison. And, and, and so the epistle is full of hope and encouragement, full of positive thinking. The words joy and peace appear at least 16 times throughout this letter. And so these are the primary themes that Paul wants to emphasize. So Lauren's song was very fitting this morning. The church at Philippi was the earliest church that Paul started on the continent of Europe. He visited it on at least two different occasions and he stayed in uh, communication with the Philippians. This letter is short. <laughs> So I'm going to inspire you to read it uh, over the month of June. It's only four sh chapters long. And I think the greatest lesson that we can learn from Philippians is Paul's challenge for us to live like Christ, to imitate Christ, to model his humility. And Paul reminds us that we get to choose our attitude in life. We may not get to choose our circumstances. We may not get to choose everything that happens to us, good or bad, but we always get to choose our mindset and our attitude in life, and nobody can take that away. So in chapter two, uh, Paul writes this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests 
of others. Now, do you think that these words describe the culture in which we live today? Do these words describe the way that most people live their lives? Do nothing from selfish ambition? Regard others as better than yourselves? Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others? There's a poem in chapter 2 that refers to the incarnation, and really this This poem is the basis for the epistle. Paul writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Sometimes I find myself looking around our culture and asking myself, whatever happened to the concept of humility? Whatever happened to the idea that that we are not the center of the universe? Jesus spent all of his time and teachings reminding us that life is about living for other people. Life is about serving other people. It's about denying self, but that's not the culture that we seem to have. That's not the mindset that we see demonstrated day in and day out. Whatever happened to humility? Andrew Murray once gave a beautiful definition of humility. He defined it this way. Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody else praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around me is trouble. Thomas Merton once said, Pride makes us artificial, but humility makes us real. Ernest Hemingway said, there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. And then one of the most powerful passages of scripture in the entire Bible found in the book of Micah, the words of the prophet Micah, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells us a story, a parable. It's the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. They both went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, thieves, rogues, uh, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Basically, this guy was telling God how great he was. But the tax collector who was pretty much despised in that day, was standing far off and he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Rabbi Harold Kushner shares his insights on the subject of humility. 
He says, humility is the realization that not everything that happens in life is all about you. Things may work out well, but you may not have been responsible for it. Things may fall apart and fail, but failure might not have been your, your fault. He goes on to say, humility means recognizing that you are not God. We are not God. And it's not our job or responsibility to run the world. The essence of humility is found in the words, leave a little bit to God. Let God be God. Not everything in life is up to us to do. And if you're used to being in control, that might be difficult. Because sometimes we don't want to leave things up to God. We want to control it. We want to manage it. We want to make sure that it turns out the way that we want it to turn out. Many of us need to remember that the world does not revolve around us. We don't control everything. We're all tempted to think that our issues and our problems in life is what everybody else is thinking about, but that's just not true. Life has a way of humbling us. And I believe that Christ came to teach us that humility is a worthy goal. It's the right way to live. Humility is a cornerstone of the Christian life. And that's what Paul is saying in the second chapter of Philippians. Those that are humble gain and earn the trust and respect of others. Those that are humble realize that life is not about them. It's about others. So let me leave you with a few final thoughts this morning on humility. The first comes from that famous apologist in Christianity named C.S. Lewis, who once said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's hard to be humble if, if you are totally preoccupied with self. Paul says, regard others as better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Christianity is about others and serving the needs of others, taking the focus off of self in a culture that is completely self-absorbed, and this is what our world needs. We need fewer people who are completely self-absorbed. We need more people who are here to serve and help others. Second thought. It's true that every single one of us must constantly battle pride and ego. It's an ongoing struggle for every human being. The dilemma that many of us face is this. How can we live in a culture that worships achievement and success and accomplishment and prestige and money and power and social media and self-promotion, and yes, that's what social media is often about, self-promotion, yet maintain a strong sense of humility in the process. How can we work hard to get an education, to get a good job, to take care of our families and our loved ones and be humble in the process. This is a challenge for every single one of us to not live as though we have all the answers, to not live as though we're God's gift to the world and we have everything figured out. Just ask us. So we have to constantly keep our pride and our ego in check. Henry Nouwen, who's a great spiritual author, wrote a book called The Selfless Way of Christ, Downward Mobility 
and the spiritual life. And in the book, Nowen draws this clear distinction between the way of the world and the way of Christ. So first he talks about upward mobility, and we all know what upward mobility is, something we're very familiar with. He says, our whole way of living is structured around climbing the ladder of success and making it to the top. Our very sense of vitality is dependent upon being part of the upward pull and upon the joy that's provided by the rewards that were given on the way up. But then now in switches and he talks about this concept of downward mobility. And he says downward mobility was actually the way of Jesus. He says God revealed himself as a small helpless child, as a refugee in Egypt, as an obedient adolescent and inconspicuous adult, as a preacher from Galilee, followed by some simple fishermen, as a man who ate with sinners and talked with strangers, as an outcast, a criminal, a threat to his people. He moved from power to powerlessness, from greatness to smallness, from success to failure, from strength to weakness, from glory to ignominy. The whole life of Jesus was a life in which all upward mobility was resisted. Now, is it realistic to think that we're all going to resist opportunities for upward mobility? No. But should we realize that the value of our life is much more than our ability to climb the ladder of success? Yes. Now and says somewhere deep in our hearts, we already know that success and fame and influence and power and money do not give us the inner joy and peace that we crave. We all know this, but yet again, we come back to the same things to give us what they can't give us. But we have to ask why. Lastly this morning, I sincerely believe that humility and joy are interconnected. I believe that those who live with humility get to experience far more joy in their life. And honestly, I can't even completely explain why. I just believe that it's true. If you can be humble in life, I think that you will learn to appreciate the small things, the basic things. I think that you'll find joy in the ordinary. It's when everything has to be extraordinary in life that we get the most disappointed. It's when we stop uh, counting our blessings and we start focusing on the things that we don't have that everybody else has that we begin to have problems. All of us want more joy in our lives, but something that we fail to do often is we fail to find it in the simple things, in the common things. Not everything has to be grand and over the top. Not everything has to be better than the last thing. There are too many people who live lives of despair and they need to experience more joy on a regular basis. And I do believe that joy and humility are intertwined and joy is found in the ordinary. So this month, as we read and study Philippians, we will begin to see how Paul helps give us the mindset and the attitude that we need to experience joy, to experience hope, to experience peace. And I do believe that this is the mindset of Christ that we are called to emulate. Amen.